10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Belts, Avery for three, hits. Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Coming up, we'll recap the football season finale at Marshall. Men's basketball had a big trip to Palm Springs over the weekend. We'll talk all about the two games they played out in the desert. Women's basketball with a historic performance last week. And the A-State volleyball team heading to the postseason. We'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on as well. But right now, I want to welcome in a very special guest to the podcast. It's the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference. Hello, Keith Gill. How are you? Matt, I'm doing great. So good to um, be with you. So thanks for having me. Busiest commissioner in the country this week because he's got more football business to tend to than anybody. <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting for us. You know, 12 bowl teams is um, is pretty amazing. So obviously the most we've ever had in our history. And I'm um, just really happy for our teams and way to cap off a great season. Now we got to go win a bunch of games, but um, it's exciting to have that opportunity. You know, just from the times we've been around each other, I know you're a very optimistic, very positive person. <laughs> but even on your most positive day, with 14 football playing schools in the Sunbelt Conference, could you have ever dreamed that 12 of those 14, more than any other FBS conference, would be bowling in the same year? Yeah, you know, I wish I could say yes, but uh, <laughs> but I would be lying. No, you know, even our kind of last projection, you know, we were thinking, you know, maybe 11, probably 10. So 12 is really off the charts. And if you think about it, the whole East Division for us is bowl eligible. It really is an amazing accomplishment. Really hats off to all of our schools and those football programs. Because, no, in my wildest dreams... Um, I would have never imagined we'd have 12 bowl eligible teams. And we'll set aside sort of James Madison's plight for a second and just say, if you just kind of looked at at their record and what they were doing, it really set up kind of a best case for the league because you had a team up there good enough to be in the conversation as the top-rated group of five champion. You had another team right on the fringe of that conversation in Troy. And past that, you had a bunch of good teams that in the end – had to beat on each other for everybody to end up bowl eligible. You know, the, the the great thing is we had a great non-conference season, right? So, you know, none of this really happens if you don't have to take care of business in the non-conference. And we had the most non-conference wins of any non-A5 FBS conference. So, so that's where it all starts. But then, I mean, obviously both the West and the East, really tough kind of divisions and then the whole conference really tough kind of um, conference play, conference schedules, and um, really big battles for schools to grind out some victories. So I, I can't be more proud of such a great accomplishment. And um, hats off to those coaches and players in those schools because they, they just have a lot to be proud of. You know, just a great football season for the Sun Belt. And it goes back even further than that, though, because you can talk about how these schools are winning games in the non-conference, but it also has a lot to do with scheduling in the non-conference and putting that right formula together to where you can be successful in the non-conference. And it seems like more and more schools in this league pretty much top to bottom, have done a great job at scheduling those non-conference games. Yeah, I, I think that's right, 100%. I mean, our formula is pretty simple. Don't play more than one kind of game against an A5 or kind of a guarantee game that's not returned. Play two games against teams in our subdivision and then potentially one FCS. 
And, um, and, and I think that that really works. And I think folks have, have embraced it and, um, and it allows us to, um, to have a good kind of non-conference approach. And I think it's really worked. And, um, like I said, hats off to our schools in that regard because they put that together. But also, you know, it's not enough to put the games on the schedule. You got to win them and you got to go out and, and make sure you're doing the right things in terms of your leadership, your approach, how you invest in football to make sure you can go out and win those games. And, and our teams certainly have been winning more than their share. So really everything matters when you think about having a season like this, whether it's, you know, the scheduling, the players, the coaches, the way you play the game, all those things are, are really important. And uh, it's nice to see it pay off in the way that it, it has this season. I know we're going to talk about what these next five or six days will be like and bowl stuff. But before we get all the way into that, you know, we saw the the autonomy leagues go uh, sort of throw geography out the window and even uh, they cannibalize themselves even they pretty much kill the league in their own sort of realignment and their own expansion when you saw that going on and they're going coast to coast and people are questioning how in the world do some of these decisions make sense how much did it sort of reassure you that the sunbelt went the right route went the opposite way and, and went very geographic and states that all border one another in the last round of realignment I just think when you look at the type of games that we have been able to put together in our conference schedule, it kind of speaks for itself in terms of the quality, right? App finishes, you know, at JMU and at Georgia Southern, you know, obviously very, very difficult games, but all games that their fans are familiar with, games that they played before. You're looking at, you know, Arkansas State having the opportunity to play the Louisiana schools, also play the schools that we have, the Southern Miss and Troy and South Alabama. Those are all rivalries and, and all games that make a lot of sense and that fans can, one, drive to pretty easy and also that they care about those outcomes. And so I think at the end of the day, you know, you're trying to find schools with really good fan bases, with traditionally winning football programs, and then you're trying to give them schedules and games that they really do care about. And I think that that is something that has really benefited us. I think you can see that from an attendance standpoint. I think you can see that from an excitement, you know, in terms of our fan standpoint. And I think that we'll continue to kind of press that issue. You know, we'll be one of the few conferences that that stay in divisions. And, and the reason why is because that allows us to kind of, you know, keep those rivalries, make sure those games really matter and kind of keep the excitement going. And that, that's going to be an important part of who we are. And that, that that's critical to our DNA kind of going forward. And then one more thing before we kind of go full on bowl talk here. Outside of football, you know, the goal is to be multi-bid in a lot of other sports. Certainly uh, baseball, the Sunbelt is a power league. It's going to have four, five, six teams in postseason play. The basketball is, I think, hopefully both head in that direction. And then volleyball is there, four in the NCAA tournament, plus multiple other teams, including A-State, getting to play in the postseason as well. Yeah, no, we're really excited. You know, we want to be good at everything. You know, and I think if you if you go back to – Last year, the Diamond Sports, we had just a great season, you know, in terms of four-plus teams in softball, four-plus teams in baseball. In terms of NCAA, you come. Women's soccer, we were multi-bid league this year. We had five men's soccer bids, and now we have four uh, volleyball. So I do think that fits with what we're trying to do. We want to be good at everything. And that starts with football and certainly having 12 teams make it to the postseason was really exciting for us. But we really do finish that with all the other sports in terms of the quality of the programs and the amount of postseason play, particularly in the NCAA championship, because that's that's really important to us. All right. So we'll shift now into 
the bowl talk and everything that you have on your plate this week. And look, there's 12 teams and they're all going somewhere, but the conference has their fair share of picks. We know that ESPN has a share as far as the picks are concerned. How much can you steer the ship here? Commissioner, I mean, what can you do, even with these ESPN games, as far as trying to get these teams in in some desired spots? You know, I think we can certainly encourage and kind of help our partners, you know, in making the best decisions. I think, you know, my number one goal right now is to make sure that we don't have any teams playing each other, right? You want to just make sure that everyone has kind of that pure bowl experience where they're playing someone for another conference. The numbers make that really difficult, um, but that certainly is a focus for us to try to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then you're trying to get the best matchups. And certainly we chime in a lot to make sure we get the right matchups and making sure you have kind of good on good and folks with similar records. And then we do try to put people in region. That's going to be really difficult this year. You know, everyone's not going to get a chance to play close to home just because of the numbers. But we certainly will, you know, take that into consideration. So I don't know that I have the final word in terms of that relative to our bowl partners, but we're in conversation and it's a partnership to identify what schools make the most sense for a particular bowl. A couple of things off what you just said, because one I wanted to ask, and listen, bowl projections, those articles, and it's fine to read them, but just know what you're reading. It's all clickbait. And that's okay. That there's nothing wrong with that. But you did see projections out there. And Arkansas State was even involved with somewhere. You had Sunbelt teams playing each other in a bowl. And so I'm glad to hear you touch on that early, but said that with so many teams to get in there, are you afraid that it's going to be hard to avoid? Yeah, no, I'm certainly concerned that it's going to be hard to avoid, but we're focused on doing it. So I'm optimistic. You know, I think at the end of the day, we'll be good in that space. But having 12 and um, especially knowing kind of what's on the other side, You know, I don't know that I can make any guarantees, but it's probably the number one bowl priority this year. You know, every season's a little different in terms of what you're trying to do or who you're trying to play. And I think right now, you know, we're going to do everything that we can to make sure we spread out our teams in a way so that they don't have to play each other. And I'm optimistic that we'll be able to do that and um, and certainly have been working on that really starting, you know, last week as we knew that we were going to start getting these numbers of potentially 10, 11, And now, you know, obviously having 12 teams, there's a numbers game that you got to prepare for. And um, and so that that really is our our number one priority. Used to. I I remember back in 2011 when the Red Wolves went to a bowl. And really that was the first of the nine-year stretch where they had nine consecutive bowl trips and, you know, five conference championships during that span. We knew before the final game of the regular season where A-State was going bowling. But now with the picking order and everything that goes into it, you really won't know anything, will you, until Sunday as far as where everybody's headed? Yeah, you know, most things can't be confirmed until Sunday. And part of that is you got to see how the CFP and the New Year's Six plays out, you know, and just who plays up into those bowls and then what bowls remain. There are going to be some bowls that we'll be able to figure out before that, you know, a handful here or there. But no, you're right. I mean, it, it, it all comes down to the 11th hour. Sunday morning, I'll be on the phone for a really long time, you know, <laughs> up until those bowl announcements, just because we'll be finalizing things and moving things around and trying to get the right matchups. And I would say that at least 50, 60 percent of our bowl matchups won't be really finalized until, you know, you get closer to, to Sunday afternoon. That wait can be challenging for folks and certainly, um, you know, nerve wracking for ADs. 
but it's now part of the process of the CFP era. And I will tell you that when the CFP expands, it's going to be even more part of that process yeah. because none of this can start until you know what 12 teams are going to be in the playoff. And then you can kind of go from there filling in the bowls. In your case, too, I mean, there is that outside possibility that, that maybe a Troy this year could still sneak in to the New Year's Six. Oh, absolutely. Troy is is right there, kind of poised to be in there. We'll look forward to seeing the rankings this week to see where they fall out. I mean, they've had a great season. They certainly have earned the opportunity to be ranked in terms of the quality of opponents they've played and beat. And um, when you think about their two losses, both of them to ranked teams that have had, you know, really, really good seasons. And so, so Troy's had an outstanding season, certainly should be in consideration for um, CFP rankings, which would be there because they're in a conference championship game. They would be, you know, considered for the New Year's Six. Talking with Sun Belt Commissioner Keith Gill. And look, A-State did go to nine straight bowls in the 2010s. And at that point in time, so much was different. The tie-ins you knew is kind of you had a one-in-five chance pretty much of where you were going. Plus, geography seemed to matter a lot. How many fans you could take seemed to carry a lot of weight. It feels like that might not be the case. Four years later, ESPN you know, has so much control that it seems like it's a lot more the case that they're making compelling TV programming, and if you can get there, that's a bonus. Is that an accurate assessment? Then I would say it that way. I do think the matchups matter, right? So I, I think that ESPN's interested in the matchups, but I would tell you we're interested in the matchups. And who all of our teams play really matter. And ESPN might be interested in that from a compelling TV standpoint. And we're more interested in that in terms of what our goals are, in terms of, you know, who we want to compete against and where we want our top teams to play and all those kinds of things. So I actually think that those interests are aligned in in trying to create the best competition. And in many ways, the best competition creates the best stories. I feel like I read these things where ESPN gets all this, um, you know, bad press for controlling this and controlling that. They really are great partners, Yeah, really very supportive in mm-hmm. college football and do a great job in trying to listen to the conferences and create really win-win situations for them and for the conferences that they work with and the bowls that they, that they work with as well. You talk about your conversations this week with the different athletic directors in the league, and I know you do a great job at communicating with every one of them, but, you know, in Arkansas State's case, what's a conversation going to be like this week with Jeff Purinton? Yeah, you know, so Jeff and I actually talked last night, so he's great, and it really is just trying to get a sense of needs, thoughts, what kind of the landscape looks like, you know, really some big-picture general things. You know, we'll have our last bowl meeting with a group of ADs tomorrow and begin to kind of shape some pictures for folks in terms of some of those options that are out there. So a lot of it is really just trying to keep the lines of communications open between ADs, myself, and then obviously with our goal partners to try to figure out what what matchups make the most sense. Now that the regular season is over, we can kind of formulate some of those. I mean, the conference championship still has an impact on what our bowl partners may or may not want to do. And so it doesn't all get solidified until Saturday, but we'll have some contingency plans that we'll that we'll walk through so that folks can begin to think about it and begin to start planning. And yeah, so I, I would assume that I will talk to him obviously tomorrow on our AD call and then a few more times between now and Sunday. 
this will sound like a maybe a silly question, so I apologize in advance. But you know, because there were spots open, James Madison then becomes the 12th team that can get to a bowl. Now that you know they're in one, do they get to get slotted into a bowl like an 11-1 team, or do they have to be treated like they were the 12th team to get into the list? We will manage them in a way that gives them the right matchup. It's hard to say where they'll be slotted because we don't really do it like one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I know that's where the picks kind of work. But in the matchup situation, we're going to try to match them up with an opponent that makes sense from a record-wise. So it's not like they're going to necessarily play a 6-6 six and six team or, or something like that. We'll try to find a matchup for them um, in the same kind of consistent way that we would for all of our programs relative to their record, the type of season they had, because you're trying to create a compelling game. And you're trying to match up the game. You're trying to do the best you can to create a game that is going to be even and is going to put teams together that can create an outcome that's exciting, right? And so I certainly think that we'll, we'll do that with them. They will play an opponent based on the season that they had and the record they have and the quality of the team that they have. You've talked a lot about trying to avoid Sunbelt teams playing each other, although you do have more Sunbelt teams going to bowl games and you do have bowl tie-ins. So I know you're looking at every possibility that's out there. So you as commissioner, are you reaching out to these bowls that you're not tied into and kind of selling these teams on what they can bring to these particular bowls? Yeah, I think so. One of the things, you know, we start tracking bowl work in like the middle part of October. And we do that for every conference. And one of the reasons we do that And so we can see which conferences are going to maybe not have enough teams to fill all their bowl agreements and which one may have more than enough to fill all their bowl agreements. We have a good sense of what bowl games are open, where there's some activities. So we are certainly talking to those bowl partners or bowl individuals to see if there's some opportunities. We have some backup agreements as well that we might be able to activate. So yes, the answer to your question is yes, we are having all those kind of conversations, because at the end of the day, we're trying to find 12 unique homes for our teams. So that is going to go well beyond our bowl agreements and well beyond our backup agreements as well. We'll work with any bowl partner. And right now, I would almost say region is not important. You know, I would say last year, you know, we would have been, we had seven bowl teams. We're trying to put everyone in the region and, and keep them close to those kinds of things. We'll obviously do that for some of our teams. We've got bowls that are in our region that make sense for a certain number of teams. But that doesn't mean we won't have teams kind of in some places that you might say are out of region or places that aren't traditional for some belt teams that participate in bowl games. Are you comfortable throwing out a couple of games that could land a Sunbelt team. I'm not even talking about a particular Sunbelt team, but where? what are a couple of games not on the list where you could see a Sunbelt team landing? You know, I think that's a great question, Brad. I would probably stay away from answering it just because, you know, <laughs> my goal is not to create Twitter news. And so as soon as I say... <laughs> well, my you know, goal is for the, you to create Twitter news. <laughs> yeah, as soon as, we're, as, as soon as I say, hey, we're going to the Brad and Matt Bowl, you know, that, that's going to hit there and, and that's going to take on a life of its own. I will say, though, that, you know, folks should know that there are some non-traditional places that, that we might show up and, and that might surprise them. That's kind of the last thing for me on this is if you could tell Arkansas State fans something here, just how many possibilities are out there? I think the 
the reality is the way the ESPN event bowls work is that though we have three kind of bowl contracts with ESPN events bowls, we can participate in a lot of those different bowls. You know, I can remember one year at played in Boca Raton, Louisiana played in the Surf Pro there in Texas, Coastal played in Birmingham last year. So I think there's some flexibility amongst those ESPN bowls that will create some opportunities for us that we don't always have kind of in our five contracts. I think the one thing that I would say is, you know, be open-minded, understand that it's a really great season in terms of Arkansas State and the progress this team made, particularly when you saw them in their opening game against Oklahoma to where they are now. And the great thing is that they'll have an opportunity to play another game against a, a really good, solid opponent in a location that certainly will be fun for fans, right? And so trying to think about it as an opportunity rather than being disappointed because I wanted to go X or Y is what I would encourage them to do. And I do think the range of ESPN event polls is a pretty broad range and um, it certainly can give folks a sense of what some of the opportunities are out there. Like I said, you know, we've played in Boca before. We've played in kind of Dallas Metroplex area before, played in the Birmingham Bowl before. So there, there's some opportunities out there that are a little different than our than our five contracts. Well, Commissioner, we know you have an extremely busy week. There's a lot going on, but at the same time, congratulations to you because this is a banner year for the Sunbelt Conference and certainly a whole lot of things to brag about. Yeah, thanks so much. All the credit goes to our schools. They're doing such a tremendous job in all our sports, but this has been an unbelievable football year, and I'm I'm glad I've been able to watch it because it's it's really been a tremendous ride and can't wait to get to bowl season and see what that has in store for us as well. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on the show. Well, we can't wait to see how many bowls you're actually able to attend. <laughs> I know right. whoever's booking all your travel is going to be very, very busy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem to have. Absolutely. That's Keith Gill joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinished the floors here twice, sized up your daughter's boyfriends here, waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. This is Coach Butch Jones, and we need you to help our A-State athletic programs by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that is making a real difference in the lives of our student-athletes. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access that you will not find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at ImpactClub.com. That's Impact, spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T, Club.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and is helping our programs right now. Wolves up. Football played their regular season finale at Marshall on Saturday. Lost that game 35-21. Dug a big hole. Got down 28 to nothing and outscored them 21 to 7 after that, but just too much to overcome and look we knew going in it was going to be tough in the first half yep. because Travion Thomas, who's been fantastic at safety all season long, was going to be out. That was due to a second-half targeting call against Texas State the week before. Same thing with Justin Hodges. He's one of those 
three corners that really have been the primary rotation. He, along with Sammy Johnson and Leon Jones at that corner spot, have been rotating most of the year. But he was out the first half as well. And then Zach Wallace, who's such a big part of the running back rotation, was out. He had injured his tailbone in the game against Texas State. We knew all that going in. Mm-hmm. But found out Saturday morning, actually got a call from Coach Jones Saturday morning, and that's not a normal <laughs> thing on Saturday morning on game day. And he said, look, Jacob Bear's out, had to have an emergency procedure this morning. Now, he's going to be fine, but he was out on Saturday. That's just a huge blow to the offensive line. And for those who don't know, Jacob Bear's the third-ranked center in the country this year, according to Pro Football Focus, who keeps track of that stuff. He's the anchor of the offensive line, and when you lose him on game day, that's a big blow. And I'll never forget, because I just don't ever recall really hearing a coach make a statement like this, but this goes back. We were in Memphis at the Red Wolves Foundation Caravan at the Bass Pro Shop. Coach Jones was sitting there talking about the team. I was just before the season started. And he said, Jacob Bear is our best player. Yeah. Now, and the reason it registered, because you just almost never hear a coach say anybody's their best player, even if everybody knows who the best player is. You seldom hear a coach say that. And then to hear it say about an offensive lineman just tells you, you know, how key Jacob Bear is to the operation. And we're not spending this time sitting here making excuses it's just a fact that a-state lost maybe its best player the morning of the game the one thing and and you and i were talking with coach jones after the radio show last wednesday night and what did he say what did he say he was concerned most about mostly was those defensive ends yeah and you had to move your right tackle mckeelan thomas to center to replace jacob bear and mckeelan hasn't played center all season long (laughs) So credit to him last for, season either, right? for stepping in. I can't remember. He may have taken a few snaps at some point. but Didn't play Ma- a whole game. Yeah. McKeelan moved in, played center, and then Elijah Zolikoffer, who's been banged up, ended up fighting his way through it at right tackle. And then Noah Smith's been banged up too at left tackle. So the pressure on Jalen Rayner all day long was a major factor in this game now again they got better as the game went along but you get down 28 nothing on the road against a team who has everything to play for they were trying to become bowl eligible the other day it was just really really tough i sent you guys a text during the game we are texas state one week earlier a team that's already bowl eligible having to go on the road and play a team on its senior day that's playing for its life. Now, at least we would have had the wiggle room of needing to try to win the Marshall game anyway. But in Marshall's case, they literally are playing for their season against a team that got bowl eligible the week before. Plus all the stuff we just talked about, personnel-wise. Plus the fact that, let's be honest, and let's be honest with ourselves. All of us celebrated that Texas State win like it won a championship, getting bowl eligible. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, rescue guys said, oh, yeah, forget about that. Turn around, flip the switch, and start all over and do it again. It's a big ask. On the road against a team who's got everything to play for on their senior day. And you saw that same kind of energy for Marshall the other day. Now, I, none of that. I mean, I'm sure to Coach Jones right now, none of that matters. He didn't want to, want to win the game and didn't want to get down 28 nothing and all that. But, oh, gosh, no. That, but there's a lot of times we just 
oversimplify it to oh we didn't show up oh got satisfied with six or a lot I mean, sports fans in general sports fans are the worst about just compartmentalizing things to if you win your team's good if you don't your team sucks and it's got nothing to do with the other team over there with 85 guys on scholarship needing to win to keep their season alive Courtney Jackson had a big day in this one. He did have a receiving touchdown, his seventh of the year. That's most on the team. And it was good to see a punt taken back for a score. He had a 60-yard punt return for a touchdown. Second straight week, we've had a special teams score. Jaquez Cross had the kickoff return for a touchdown the week before. And look, credit Marshall. They had their quarterback back. They had been missing Cam Fancher, who's a dual threat the previous couple of games, and he just changed everything for him. The fact that he was able to run the football, he ended up accounting for all five of their touchdowns. So that's it for the regular season. But you know what the good news is? We still got another game over. to play. That's right. The way things shook out, and as we heard a little earlier, everybody's got a spot. So now it's just a matter of getting to Sunday and finding out what that spot is. It was my first trip to Marshall for a football game. Now, I had been there a couple of times for basketball before but when we landed Friday afternoon there was still a little bit of daylight left so got in the rental car and our crew ended up going down to the cemetery I hadn't been to the cemetery to see the memorial for that 1970 team and honoring the 75 that went down in the plane crash but very powerful spot there just there at the cemetery and then we went on campus and looked at the fountain as well the memorial that's actually on campus but a very powerful thing just to be on that campus and everything that that school has gone through if you're familiar with the story if you've seen the movie we are marshall you certainly have an appreciation for what that school what that football program has gone through you had a trip as well this weekend. We'll talk about that when we come back to wrap things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Red Wolf fans, this is Demario Davis, proud Red Wolf and linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. And I'm asking you to help out our current A-State student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our players by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities, make a monthly commitment, and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at Impact Club. Club.com. Thank you, and Wolves up. Wrapping things up, men's basketball was in Palm Springs over the weekend at the AccraSure Invitational. You went out to sunny California and called these games. I did, yeah. Lost to San Diego on Friday night. We were actually at the hotel in Huntington. I told you this. Me and Jeff Purinton and Jared Woodard were all downstairs at the hotel and had you up on the phone, listened to the entire first half, and That's kind of when things went south after halftime because you're up 28-27 and San Diego goes on that big run to begin the second half and just not able to recover after that. Yeah, and they took the momentum. You know, a lot of times basketball coaches, they talk about the last four and the first four. 
right? Last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half, and what a key stretch of the game that is. Well, really, this game was decided in that very stretch. Last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half, because we led that game 19-10, I think, at one point, and uh, it ended up being a one-point lead at the half. Then they opened the second half on a 12-0, and it really just played from behind the rest of the game, even pretty much an even game after that, to be honest with you. So just uh, one little stretch there proved to be too much to overcome, and you know, I think our staff thought they'd see a zone from San Diego. They did, and it was a very, very effective zone. As Coach Hudson said in the postgame, you know, took a lot of bad shots and then missed some good ones. Yeah, shot 29% on the night, just four for 24 from three. And this is a good shooting team. So I don't expect us to have many more shooting nights like that. But hey, it's going to happen from time to time. And it happened on Friday. It certainly didn't happen on Saturday, especially in the first half of that game. Got off to a huge start. Led 51 to 17 at the half against UT Rio Grande Valley. 51 to 12. At one point, you're a point away from being up 40 in the first half. The 27 points San Diego scored in the first half was the lowest this team had allowed in a first half all season. And then they back it up by allowing 17 in the first half on Saturday. Quite honestly, the second half, and Coach Hudson probably wouldn't like me saying this, and we didn't talk about it, and I know he wasn't viewing it that way. But when that's the situation, the entire second half felt like garbage time. And I think he was fighting like heck to maybe try to get his guys to keep from playing like the entire second half was garbage time. But the entire second half felt like garbage time in that game. So it ends up, you know, 17 was the margin, and it wasn't nearly that close. Yeah, 75-58 the final. Freddie Hicks leading the way with 18 points. Double-double for DeAndre Dominguez. 11 points, 15 boards. And then Isaiah Nelson was one rebound away from a double-double. He finished with 12 points. And nine boards. DeAndre was on the all-tournament team out there. He's playing well. Yeah, he he did play very well. Freddie Hicks played great because the finish of the game Friday night and the whole game Saturday without Caleb Fields. You know, Coach Hodson said in the postgame, they actually, one time they actually considered literally playing Freddie at the point. Now, he didn't really do that, but a lot of times the offense ran through him. Even on Friday night against that zone, the offense kind of ran through him where he'd get to that soft spot at the free throw line and a couple different times found guys cutting the baseline for a layup or a dunk or had the ability to turn around then and take an open shot if he's in that spot. So Freddie had a nice weekend too. Hopefully get Caleb back very soon. And then Terrence Ford has still not played yet this year. And I cannot wait to see Terrence Ford play in this offense. Yeah, Yeah, they had nine guys Saturday, seven scholarship guys and the two walk-ons, which, again, are not run-of-the-mill walk-ons. I mean, they're playing Mm -hmm. anyway. So, as he said going in, they got plenty to win the game, and they did. And we'll see when they can get some of these guards back as they get ready for, well, if you're listening to this, hopefully on Tuesday, games tonight. Yeah, three games in this next week. Tonight against Jackson State, if you're listening on Tuesday. Back end of that women's men's doubleheader against Jackson State at 7.30. And then at Little Rock, Friday at 6.30. And I guess we saw this last year in Jonesboro. But getting used to this Little Rock rivalry continuing beyond the Sun Belt days. Yeah. As, well, the uh, bummer last year for the game here was, that, remember, it was the game right before Christmas. And it was sleeting during the entire game. Yeah, and so it, didn't have it was a, a shame because it was a heck of a game. Yeah. Terrence Ford went off in that game. 
I think, for 25 points. Didn't have your typical good A-State Little Rock environment in there on that particular day. We did not, but at Little Rock Friday at 6.30, hopefully we have a lot of fans wearing scarlet and black show up for that. We usually do when we're at the Stevens Center. And then next Monday, the Red Wolves will be on the road again at Alabama as Brian Hodson returns to his old stomping grounds to take on his old boss, Nate Oates. Should be a fun one there. Women's basketball. Gosh, this was something last Tuesday. <laughs> they defeat Hendricks at home, 95-15. to You sent me the screenshot of the score at one point when it was 39 to nothing yeah. late in the first quarter. And by 39 points in the first quarter, I know the score could have been much worse. Mm-hmm. But the 80-point margin of victory, the largest in program history. Coach Dez, when it was over, like she came over to the media table pretty quickly to do radio, and she was like, don't even put that out there. <laughs> She's like, don't even, because this is the third year in a row they've played Hendricks. Each of the first two, look, I mean, you're going to be a monster favorite, as you should be when you're playing a D3. But each of the first two games were like 45 points. Bad enough, but... At least there were competitive stretches in there. And what I can gather is, I don't think playing Hendricks this year was the original plan, but the schedule may have changed late. I think maybe there was some talk that there was an MTE they were going to, and then that didn't end up happening. So they ended up just kind of plugging a couple of gaps, and this was one of the ways it got plugged. It was not competitive in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And the truth is, and it's just and people that watch that game know I'm not kidding. The final margin was 80, and the game wasn't that close. Wow. It wasn't that close. Could have won that game. If they had they set their mind to it and wanted to, they could have won that game, won it by 115 or 120 points. As it stands, still an 80-point victory, and five players finished in double figures, led by Lauren Pendleton with 17. The women do have a couple of games this coming week. If you're listening on Tuesday, tonight at 5, they'll take on UAPB. And then they'll be at Kansas City, one of their rare non-conference road games this year, coming up Saturday at 2. Next to last one, other than the uh, Sunbelt Mac Challenge later in the season. Volleyball. Their season's not over. They're going to play in the postseason. One of 32 teams invited to the women's NIVC this equivalent to the NIT. Yeah. They'll take on Wichita State Thursday at 6. And you and I sat here last week and talked about this team going from nine wins to 16 wins this year and still just incredibly young. And this is a chance to get more playing Yeah, time this is the sort of team that you want to keep playing with, right? You're young. You've got your guys you want to build on in the future. So this is the kind of team that can really benefit from this postseason experience and getting a chance to just keep playing couple of more notes before we wrap things up here. The indoor track and field season beginning this Saturday. They'll be competing in Boston at the Sharon Collier-Danville season opener. Hopefully getting ready for a couple of more conference championships with the men and women. That seems to be the thing with the track and field teams. Tends to be that way. And then we'll know sometime this weekend where A-State is bowling, but a busy time for Coach Jones and his staff is. It's prime recruiting season. They're getting ready to bring in that early signing class here in the next couple of weeks at the same time, getting ready to play a bowl game. And the latter part of that is something we 
haven't been able to talk about the last few years. And you may as well not even treat it like the elephant in the room. The other thing you got going is you're, you know, inside two weeks from the window where the portal opens. And that means, I mean, you know, that doesn't mean just guys going in it, also looking at guys who are in it. And I know you go back to the coaches show last Wednesday night, and one of the questions you asked Coach Jones was about somebody said, hey, are we going to be able to keep our quarterback? He sort of cited what was, I think, at UConn was kind of where he pit, but it's the message. Honestly, let's just be kind of frank about it. It's the answer every coach could give their fan base is that, you know, in this day and age, in the era of college athletics in which we live, really what the coaches could say is, we did our part of it here to build this roster and get these guys in, but now it's your job to do their part to keep them. And it's just the truth. That's not a sales pitch. I mean, that's just the truth. The coaches can only do so much. They've done that part in assembling this roster. Creating a culture that they want to be in. But they have to have help in keeping them in place. Period. Yeah, it's a different world. And he's absolutely right. It is, in a large respect, up to the fans now to keep those players here. So I thought that was an interesting response, but one that uh, you're going to start hearing a whole lot more often throughout the world of college football. (laughs) Because it's just true. Yeah. Anything else we need to talk about here? Did Um, you enjoy Palm Springs? So, yeah. I mean, it was obviously I had not been to the desert part of California. And Mm -hmm. they make no mistake about it. Like this stuff is in the desert. They actually played the games in Palm Desert. But you just kind of run out of, it's this collection of towns in the valley that just basically all touch one another. You go, you'd you'd almost never know when you're out of one and in the other from Palm Springs to Palm Desert to Indian Wells, which is actually where the hotel was. The, The team hotel was at the Indian Wells Golf Resort. Oh, wow. To La Quinta and Indio and Coachella and all these towns are all connected out there. And everything else is just desert. And the what makes it a good spot for me is what they've got out there is golf courses, like 120 of them. And the, now the, the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, as they call it, where, the, you know, it's, if you, you watch any pro tennis at all, you've always heard them playing at Indian sure. Wells. That was probably two minutes from the hotel. Mm. That stadium where they play the the pro tennis. Yeah. But a really, I mean, the weather is just phenomenal where it gets, you know, right around 70 degrees was you know, right there. 68, 70 degrees was the temperature every day. What's funny from a golf standpoint, it's a little bit different than around here is like you could start like courses started booking tee times at like 620. You could tee off at 620 a.m. at most places, but very few people tee off after noon. Because by about 4.30, it was pretty dusky. And so, like, the twilight rate kicked in any time afternoon because you might not get them all in. But got a chance to get a couple of rounds of golf in, which is different. I capitalized on being in a place never been before. And golf courses are plenty and enjoyed that. Just beautiful. The golf courses are crazy. I mean, like, just give me an example. Like, as we were flying into Palm Springs, you know, my wife went with me. Mm -hmm. And so, like, without even, like, even leaning up, like, she's sitting by the window. She turns and looks, and she said, like, all right, one, two, three, four, five, six. Just where she could look out her window, she could see six different golf courses. Wow. As we were driving to the arena Saturday, I had it up on the map on my phone. And you know about how much ground the map covers on your phone. We were sitting at a stoplight, and I just kind of chuckled. And she said, what? I said, right here where we're sitting on my screen, 
There's seven golf courses on the screen here that's covered in the map. <laughs> it's like a golf mecca. Yeah, out so if, there. I mean, if you kick a rock, it's going to land on a golf course. Now, a lot of those are private clubs. A lot of them are affluent private clubs, some of them. But it was a, a really cool part of the world and a place I could see us going back and playing some more golf. Hey, thanks again to Keith Gill, Sunbelt Conference Commissioner, joining us. I know he's got a lot going on this week and. We're going to have a lot going on next week when we join you again to talk about where we're going bowling and everything else that's happening in the world of A-State athletics. That's on the next edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.